This morning we are in a fantastic new series as Luke uh, designed for us and he assigned this passage to me and I will teach it. Uh, it's a fantastic passage and I was wondering, okay, how does this relate to our theme, our overall objective for this, this month is what? Practicing the word, right? Last, week, last month was practicing prayer. And we focused on the power of prayer and that we have the power of God in our fingertips when we pray. And we spent four weeks talking about prayer. We're going to spend four weeks talking about the word. We're talking about disciplines. We're talking about practices that we do that sharpen our faith, that develop the kind of person we want to become. There's things that you do that help you become who you want to become. And those things are, as we described, the four things we're going to look at for the, for the next several months is prayer, a focus on God's word, living a more simple life, what simplicity looks like as it relates to our spiritual lives and our real lives, and generosity. Generosity is also a part of the Christian life. And so all four of those things will grow you into the likeness of Christ. So this morning, we're looking at practicing the word. I don't have a title for you other than read your Bible. So just read your Bible, will you? Because it's right there in front of you, and it's filled with a lot of great wisdom, and I'm going to give you one big reason why this morning. Out of our text, Luke chapter 24, 13, all the way to uh, if you look, uh, it's verse 35. So 13 to 35, it's the road to Emmaus. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to give you a couple observations. We're going to make an interpretation, and then we're going to do an application. That's how I study God's word. I observe, I interpret, and I apply. And we're going to do that together. And I hope that you have a Bible or you have your Bible app, because I'm going to ask you for some feedback at the end. I want to hear what you have to observe, what you, how you want to interpret, how you see this passage being interpreted, and how you're going to apply it, okay? So I want some participation in the end. But to start out, let's read this passage. Um, this is um, what we know in terms of the context. Always think of the context when you're reading a passage. What comes before it? What follows it, right? Where does it fit into the into the overall discussion. When you, when you open a book, when you look at, read, a, read anything, you're always thinking context, right? You're thinking, okay, who wrote it? Why'd they read it? Um, wh what are other things that they wrote? Um, what's the, the cultural mil milieu of the day? What are they addressing? What's the problem? All of those kinds of questions, right? That's how you approach reading something. You want to know what their perspective is, and then you want to read with an open mind. You want to understand what they, the author intended to mean. That's Bible study. There it is in a nutshell. And so we're going to do that. And so in Luke 24, what we know about context is that Jesus is risen from the dead. He has been crucified. He has been put in the tomb. And three days later, he rose again. Some of the disciples had not yet had the chance to see Jesus. And so they are living in this, um, in this kind of in this sense of abeyance, it's not yet, they're, they're not there yet. They haven't seen Jesus. They haven't fully grasped the intensity and the reality of a resurrected Jesus Christ and what that means. They're living in a time in which they're still not sure. 
So they're walking to Emmaus. It's outside of Jerusalem, and they're going to gather together. I don't know why they're gathering. Maybe they still feel a sense of connection from each other. Their Savior is gone. He's no longer with them. They've heard the news, but they haven't experienced it. But here they are. They're going to meet up. I don't know what they're going to do together. Maybe have a meal. Maybe just kind of discuss uh, life and where we're going to go from here without Jesus around. But there's two of them that meet a stranger on the road, and we know and understand it's Jesus, and they don't get it yet. So let's read the text. So behold, two men were um, going that very day to the village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And and they were walking, talking together uh, about all the things that had just taken place. Uh, While they were uh, talking and discussing, Jesus himself, it says, approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from seeing it. We don't know why. We don't know why their eyes were prevented from seeing the resurrected Lord, but there he was standing in their midst, and they didn't recognize him. What are the things, Jesus says, that you are explaining and tying and exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking at, looking sad, One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, very interesting, isn't it? They stopped. They were saddened. They were disappointed, hopeless. And they turned to one another, and then they turned to this stranger, and they they said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, unaware of the things which have happened these days? In other words, everybody else knows the news but you. Are you just arriving And so they have this conversation. He says to them, what things? He's begging them for more information, right? He knows exactly what's going on. He's he's the one, and they don't know it yet. This is an interesting passage, isn't it? I mean, we're we're set within this this, uh, confusion that the disciples have, that often people have today, is a sense of confusion about really who Jesus is. And until you get that straight, nothing really makes sense. We're kind of getting somewhere, aren't we? That's the point. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, who was the prophet, mighty in deed and word and sight of God and all the people and the chief priests and the rulers delivered him and sentenced him to death and he was crucified. And we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Apparently he didn't. Apparently all their hopes were dashed in this crucifixion. We were hoping for better, but this is all we got. Okay, that's their perspective. Indeed, besides all this, the third day since these things happened, but some of the women were amazed and they went to the tomb in the morning and found his body and came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But some of them, some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found just exactly what the women had said and said that they did not see him. And he said to him, oh, foolish man, Oh, foolish men. It's interesting that Jesus says, oh, foolish men, not oh, foolish brothers or oh, foolish disciples because they still don't know who he is. They were living in a, in a season of hearsay. Hearsay. Hearsay is, I've heard from somebody else. Somebody else believes this. I think it might be true, but I don't know it for sure for myself. Every person must come to a decision in their own life that they understand and believe in the full resurrection of Jesus Christ. And until you come to that, you live in a world and a faith of hearsay. You believe somebody else's account. You're taking somebody else's word for it. 
And we're getting now deeper from observation into an interpretation of what we're going to take from this passage. There's something going on here. And he says, oh, foolish men and slow to heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Jesus began opening the Torah to them, their Old Testament, and began explaining everything that the Bible has to say about Jesus. And then they hear this, they approach the village, and he acts as as though he was going further away, but they invite him to come and stay with them and have a meal, and he sits down with them, and when he reclines at the table, he takes the bread and breaks it and blesses it, and it's at that point in verse 31, their eyes are open, and they recognized him, and he had vanished from their spot, from his sight. Their eyes were open. And so what we find in this passage is one idea. Their eyes were closed. Jesus explains all of the Old Testament scriptures to them in probably who knows how long, an hour, two hours, three hours. We don't know. But he gives them enough context, reaching in, exploring the biblical narrative, the main idea of the biblical narrative, shed light on who Jesus is in all of Scripture, and then what happens? Their eyes are open. It's like a three-part play. Part one, confusion, eyes are closed. Part two, they begin to hear an explanation of who Jesus is, and part three, their eyes are open, and they see Jesus for who he really is in their own lives. And so what we find in this text is one gigantic big idea. When you see Jesus in all of scriptures, it will open your eyes. But you have to see Jesus in all of scriptures, and then your eyes are going to be open. And he will make sense of all the world. So how, do, how does it all come together? Well, let's look at these three kind of stages. First of all, they, we start with their eyes closed. And uh, thank you. Their eyes are closed. And uh, it's like life without the resurrected Lord. There's no long-term purpose. There's a sense of hopelessness. Israel is not going to get redeemed. We're trying to make sense of the world. We're trying to make sense of our lives. We're trying to make sense of what we just did. We're trying to make sense of what the future is going to look like. We've lost our purpose because we can't find the resurrected Christ. Don't you find that interesting that it all hinges on one thing? Either Jesus Christ is personally resurrected from the dead and you've had a personal encounter with him or all of life doesn't make sense. And their eyes are closed at this point. Um, People say all sorts of interesting things today without a resurrected Christ. We die and then we just rot. People say stuff like life is what you make of it. That's all it is. Life is just what you make of it. Um, Suffering brings an end to all my joy, people say sometimes. I wrote down, we are pawns being used and run over by an industrial, by large industrial complexes in this world. And people say things like this. And when they say things like this, they've lost the purpose and, the, and their meaning in the world because their eyes are closed. 
I asked you to um, watch a movie or at least watch the beginning and the end of a movie. Did anybody actually do that? Jesus Christ Superstar. Did, did someone here rent the movie and not like it? I've got $3. I'll give it back to you. If you did not, one person in the last service did not like the movie. And so I offered him $3. It's $3.99 to rent it on Prime. But um, I'm going to keep 99 cents for sending the text. And they get $3. So I'll give you 3 bucks back if you didn't like the movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I actually had it on my computer. I used to watch it all the time. It's a rock opera. Did you guys, do you know much about Jesus Christ Superstar? Andrew Lloyd Webber did all the music. It's really interesting. It's a, it's, uh, a lot of like Christians don't like it because the whole story is the entire cast of the Gospels, they all arrive on a bus. Did you see that? They all arrive on a bus and you're going, what is going on? And Herod gets off the bus and the Roman centurions, Jesus, Judas, they're all just hippies. And they're going to act out the story of Jesus and they take the cross off the bus. I mean, it's all revealed in the very, and the swords and, and the, all, everything comes off the bus. And, and Judas runs off into the mountains and then Jesus goes off with his disciples and the story begins. And it's the contrast between Jesus's concern, Judas's concern that Jesus is mistaken. He's not really Jesus Christ superstar. Who do you think you really are? Who in the world do you think you are? I saw it in Munich with my brother, and it was in German. And I'm like, okay, this is really awesome. The music's great, but I'm going to have to watch it again in English because, well, for several reasons, but the big obvious one is I didn't understand it. And I wanted to hear the words. I wanted to understand what Judas was, was singing. It's all sung. And Judas is asking the question, Jesus, you think you're the superstar and you're not, and you, you're believing a lie about yourself, and, and in the end, you're going to get hurt and everybody else is going to get hurt. And then Jesus goes through and he's, he's tried and he's crucified and he's hanging on a cross. And the last scene of the movie is what? They all get back on the bus, except for Jesus. It's all over. And they load everything back up and they all get back on the bus and they drive away. And what's the point of the movie? The point of the movie is that Jesus died, and that's the end of the story. And when that happened, the play's over, the mu musical's over, life doesn't make any sense, they all get back on the bus, and they're going to go to try find meaning somewhere else. But it's gone. It's over. And that's the point. That's the way the disciples felt, is they all got back on the bus, and they weren't sure what to do because their Christ had not risen from the dead. They didn't hang around long enough to see what would happen three days later. And that's how the disciples were feeling in this scene. Their eyes were closed. But people today often get back on the bus. They get, often get back on the bus in life because they walk around in a sense of blindness by their own unwillingness to see the resurrected Christ and they live with this blindness. They can't make sense of the world. Um, but what's amazing about this scene is the disciples saw it all with their own eyes. They saw Christ. They experienced the miracles. They knew everything about it, and yet they did not have a personal encounter with Christ yet. And until then, their eyes were closed. 
And so we now move from the first act, which is this living with hearsay and living with a sense of blindness, an inadequacy to be able to see the world the way Jesus sees the world because you haven't seen it all yet. And a lot of Christians live with a sense of blindness. And they're not growing, and their faith isn't growing, and and they're not understanding what they're going through, life circumstances, because they're living with a sense of blindness because they haven't had this insane personal confrontation with the resurrected Lord in all of Scripture. And so scene two is now Jesus saying that he's going to sit down with them as they're walking, they're actually walking, and he's going to explain the prophets and Moses and all what the Old Testament and all their writings had to say about him. I don't know what that conversation exactly was. We're not told. We're just told that he opened the scriptures to them, the Old Testament. But I guarantee you he pointed out a lot of things to them. I guarantee you, he walked right through the Bible and saying, you remember that scene? You remember that? You remember when that happened? You remember what this person said? That's me. That's me. That's me. That pointed to me. I'll give you an example. In Genesis, you know what happens in Genesis chapter 2, but by Genesis chapter 3, what happens? So creation happens. They're put in the garden. They're tempted by the serpent. They give in to the temptation, and God has to bring judgment because sin has come into the world. And then he brings a judgment against them. And in Genesis chapter 3, he lays out what the judgment will be be against the serpent and also against uh, humanity. But then in that context, in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, he drops, God drops a little hint that there's something coming that's going to bring about a redemption in all this. In the third chapter of the Bible, in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, now, uh, Eve will have a child in the future, a seed, the seed of the woman will come and will be bruised by the serpent, but then this particular person will crush the head of the serpent. Well, what does that sound like? That sure sounds like Jesus in confrontation with Satan, the evil one, and how Satan seems like he gets the upper hand when Jesus goes to the cross, and then three days later when he rises again, he crushes the evil one and says, death will not reign. And Jesus is pointing that out to the disciples and explaining them to these people, look at that right there in your Bibles. Maybe he went to Exodus chapter three and he talked about Moses being the deliverer of the people out of bondage. Remember that whole story? And Jesus probably says, that's me. I'm the deliverer. Moses delivered the people out of bondage, but I'm the one who delivers all people out of all bondage. And then he relates his life to that story. Maybe he goes to Joshua chapter one and Joshua, he says that Joshua will be the warrior that will lead the people into the promised land and fight their battles for them. And Jesus turns and says, I'm Yeshua. I'm actually Joshua now physically and I will fight your battles for you. And we know the relationship between Joshua and Jesus that yes, Joshua led the people into the, into the promised land and fought their battles for them, but there'll be another one that will come. In Hebrews, it says, we can go to the throne room of God because he understands all of our battles and he is the deliverer. 
Maybe he, maybe he kept going. Maybe he said, remember King David saying in Isaiah chapter 9, 7, that there, David's throne will never end. Well, guess what? There will be a king that will sit on David's throne. And in Luke chapter 1, in verse 35, when the angels came to the, the shepherds, you remember what they told them? Yeah, we remember. Yeah, exactly. That this one, Jesus Emmanuel, the son of God, will his government will never end. It will continue on. His governance, he's the king of all kings. Yes, that's me. Do you see? And he just probably walked through the prophecies and the Old Testament, and he began to explain to them, it all points to one thing. And then something happens. Their eyes are open, verse 31. They begin to see Jesus for who he is. He explained all of the scriptures to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. For They had a personal encounter with the resurrected Lord in all of Scripture, and their eyes were opened. And here's the whole point of the whole message this morning. When you encounter all of Scripture, and you discover in a personal way, you see and identify and connect in the Scriptures with the resurrected Christ in all of Scripture, your eyes will be open and everything will make sense. All of life comes down to making sense when we understand what the Bible teaches. That's why you read the Scriptures. That's why you pour over the Scriptures. That's why you devote yourself to reading and understanding and looking at the text over and over again. It's a living word. It's dynamic. It's inspired by God. It has been given to us. Everything in the heavens and the earth declares the glory of God. It reveals to you the grand plan of life and the purpose for your life. It was Nietzsche himself, the most pessimistic philosopher of all times, who said this. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And he was absolutely right. You've got to understand your why. And the scriptures explain our why. That's why I have devoted my life to this text. And let me finish by saying, and I believe this, that the greater your personal encounter and exploration of God's word is, the more God will open your eyes to what is going on in the world, God's eternal plan and his purpose for your life. There should not be one Christian on the face of this earth that does not understand what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. We have the answers. We can explore any question, any concern in all of our lives, whether it's your work, your career, your relationship, your marriage, your, the hardship that you're going through, a difficulty in a relationship. You look at any situation in your life, whatever the situation you're facing, we as Christians are not without answers. And we often find ourselves wondering and standing there going, gosh, I, I feel like life's out of control. God's not in control. This isn't going the way I planned. Getting back into the word when you see a resurrected Christ 
staring through the pages of Scripture right back at you saying, I'm, in, I'm still in charge. I'm alive. I've conquered death. I've overcome. I have a future coming. I'm reading the book of Revelation right now, and it is just blowing my mind. I have read it. I have taught it. I have looked at it so many times, and I'm looking at it now with fresh eyes, and I am realizing and recognizing the, the sovereignty of God in all of history and that he has everything worked out to detail. And when I see the detail in Revelation of what will happen in the future, I'm, be, I'm beginning to see how I experience less and less fear or anxiety or insecurity about my own life in the future. I'm facing something right now personally that I feel totally out of control with. And yet the more I dive into scripture, the more what comes to mind is God has this. Scripture comes to mind. The truth of Jesus, the living Jesus, in the midst of what I am experiencing right now, which seems out of control, out of my control, looks bad, but in the eyes of God, there's a purpose to it. And until you get to that place, those things are are gonna really sideline our faith. And my challenge this morning is this, get into the word. And the way I get into God's word is very simple. I make observations, I come to an interpretation, and then I make an application. That's how I've learned. When I was in junior high, I started reading the Bible. Then I got into high school and my, I asked my mom to take me to the bookstore, Carpenter's Bookstore in Lamita on PCH and Narbonne. There was a Christian bookstore called Carpenter's. And I went down there with my mom and I said, Mom, I want a King James Version Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It's about that thick, has notes, and I got colored pencils and I began to read it and color code the entire Bible. I know it's a little strange in high school and that, yes, that's probably not where a lot of people are at, but I was, cons- I was consuming the word. I wanted to consume the word. I wanted to learn what it said. I wanted to understand it, and I dove in. But it wasn't until college that someone sat down and said, hey, do you know how to study the Bible? I said, no, not really. And they said, here, let's take some passages and do it. It's an observation. Make all the observations you can. So what I want to do right now is do an observation, interpretation, application with you in this text. So open up your Bibles, open up your, um, your, uh, your, um, your apps if you have one, and I want to ask you to look at the text, anything that you can observe. Throw out some observations that you've made, maybe while I preached, maybe while you heard me read the text, maybe as you're reflecting out right now. Let's take a minute and make some critical observations. All observations are good. We're just observing the text. What do you see? What do you see in the text? Any observations that you thought of as we were reading through the text? Old Testament survey. What do you mean by that? Yes. So you're kind of just, so you're very interesting. You, you've just literally put yourself into that scene and you're imagining an Old Testament survey class. See, that's, that's great Bible study, isn't it? Because you've got to be creative. So the way we've got to approach this is how to put yourself into the scene often gives you emotion, doesn't it? So when I saw that, it's like you lit up. 
Like there was like excitement. Any other observations? What else do you see in the text? Yeah. 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 And that's a great, like, what is going, really, what, you've got to, you've got, you've got to attack this passage with a sense of not only um, belie- believability, but also a sense of critical thinking, right? And your critical thinking component is, what is wrong with these people? Oh, foolish men who are so slow in heart to believe. Why? What's going on? What's wrong? It, what's, what's the problem in this passage? There's often a problem that's being attacked. Good. Any other thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so... What's also interesting is you make the other observation that these disciples weren't looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for them, and then they wanted him to stick around longer, and he said yes, and that's when their eyes were open. And I wonder if that's the way it happens. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. I'm not going to run into you and force, my, force, force myself into your life, but I'm most certainly going to knock. And I guarantee you that Jesus has been knocking on your heart for a long time. And when you open the door, guess what he does? I'll come and sup with you. That's the first thought I have. Now I'm using scripture to interpret scripture. Yeah, any other observations? Anything else? Yeah, James. Yeah, good. Especially in that time, right? Because now you have to go. You have to think of the cultural implications of women going to the tomb first and being the ones that were the spokespeople for the resurrection, and the men lagging behind. You know, when it comes to Bible reading, men are way behind, almost fifty percent on women who read the Bible. Just a little quote there, a little survey that was done. So, hey, very interesting. Yes, Stephanie, do you have an observation? Yes. And, and don't you think that's true? We're in the presence of Christ. We have Christ with us, Christ in us. And yet we feel so downcast at times and we're in his presence. And it's not until what happens, something happens, an encounter, a fresh encounter with the word of God that opens our eyes and brings new perspective. Ha! Huh. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah. And their spirits became alive in that moment. Yeah. 
encounter with Jesus and he stayed with us, it was getting late towards evening. Yeah. And after their eyes were open, I think the text says indicates they hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other guys. And I'm thinking, that's 14 miles in one day. That's a long walk. Yeah. Coming from a hiker. The urgency. Well, this is a little insight into Bill, but when when you were saying that, the thing that popped into my head was your accident when you when you fell, and it was nighttime, and they went searching for you. And they went and they wanted to come back at night. And they were trying to get res- a rescue team in at night to get to you because of the urgency. Your life and death. And, and isn't that also true? That the urgency of when we meet the resurrected Christ, there's a sense of urgency in our hearts for other people. Yeah, I like that. Amazing. I mean, these are, listen to these observations. Look what we're doing. We're doing Bible study. These are, we're just to the observation stage. We haven't got to interpretation, so we got to quickly get that. Denise, my wife has an observation. And that's a process. That is that is a slow process. As Bill pointed out, it took all day. It could take a long time in your life. But when you are devoted to help understanding Christ in the midst of your crisis, that may take a long time. And don't, we shouldn't expect people to get, overcome these things quickly. This is an encounter that takes a long time. It's a process. Yeah that begins to change and shape your... Now interpretation, what does it mean? So we, we, what we did is we made lots of observation. What does it really mean? What's this passage mean? What's it saying? What would you say is the big idea? What would you say? I, pardon me? Biblical heartburn. Just a deep passion. A, it does. It does create a biblical heartburn. It should. Yeah. Others? Thoughts? The others like, okay, what in the world does all this mean? Well, we could say in many different ways what we've already said, that in personal encounter with the word of God in your life will open your eyes. To reality, right? So now we've gone to an interpretation. You can't see what you're not looking for. So what are you looking for? So what are you looking for in life? John Hopkins, many years ago, did a survey with over 7,000 students, two years long, asking the question, what is most important on your mind right now to college students? 16% said making a lot of money. 73% 
of the students surveyed said trying to find the meaning and purpose of life. That many. Now that's a significant, even James liked that survey. He doesn't like surveys, but he liked that survey because that's getting at it. If you're not looking, if you're not looking, you're not going to find it. And I love that survey because that's telling me college students are looking right now. They're looking for the meaning and purpose of life, and it's found in Christ. And the application is where I'm going to start searching. How are you going to approach this text? What is your personal plan? Make it specific. I'm going through Revelation right now. I'm going through Colossians and 1 Corinthians. That's my personal devotion right now. I'm studying those with new eyes. Maybe it's going through Luke and saying, I want to go through this passage. I want to go through all the passages of Luke asking the question, who is Jesus? What is your application? Change something in your life, and that is your sense of bewilderment bewilderment, inquiry into the Word of God. Okay, so that's what I wanted to end with. That's biblical study. The passage teaches us one important lesson, the why to biblical study. The why will open your eyes. So, Father, as we approach the communion this morning, we recognize that it truly is a personal encounter with a resurrected Jesus Christ. That when we celebrate, as you say, remember your suffering, remember your death, you're also telling us to remember your life. And that what follows is the fact that you you came alive, you resurrected from death and overcame death. And in that we find, Father, hope and meaning and purpose. We find our why. So I pray in Jesus' name that we might encounter you daily in your word. And as we come before you now in the communion, in the sacraments, may we have a personal encounter with a resurrected Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. As the elements are being passed out, will you stand with us? Denise, would you do us the honor of leading us through this bit of communion? One of the things that um, the passage reminded me of was Jesus told them to remember and to, to see who he was. And so that's what we get to do with communion that can be so meaningful for us. Is Jesus said, take the bread, remember, take the bread regularly and remember what I did for you. My body was crucified for your sins. And then he said, take the cup and remember my blood that was shed for you, the incredible love that I have for you and that I paid for you and forgiving your sin through my blood. So remember, take this bread and take this cup and do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember you together.
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. Live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in love to those
our prayer today, God. We build our foundation on you. We will not be shaken. Would you teach us how to love like you love? And as I heard someone say earlier, we won't see what we aren't looking for. So Lord, may we look for you and find you. It says in the word 
that those that seek you will find you. So may we seek you, may we see you for who you truly are, Jesus. We love you, we worship you, we thank you for this community and that we can feel your presence and your love for us. We have that access. So we thank you, we bless your name, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.